And I did. And they all came back. The allurement was too much. And it may seem in our culture today that that continual allurement, whether it's the Internet that's driving the porn industry, whether it's the television that's running it, whether it's the billboards, whether it's the magazines, whether it's just the ungodly worldview and atmosphere in which we live. It's a great concern to me. You say, why is that? Because could we be following in this same path? And are we at the point? Are we at the point where there are some of us who are saying, God, if we don't get a hold of you, if somehow we don't reach heaven, if somehow we don't see your power, then we're doomed. And you say, boy, that sounds like an awfully sad story. If you know me, you know that I'm, a, I'm one who always looks that the cup is half, is half full instead of half empty. I try always to look at the top side of things, but I'm telling you, as we notice what's going on, I talked with a man on a plane the other day as I was flying, and he said, something bad is going wrong with our country. As I talked with him, I realized this man wasn't a believer, but he could see that something's wrong, that something's going in the wrong direction. And so consequently, we, we, we realize that there's a, there's a problem, and he says it's not just knowledge, but we do have a problem with knowledge. We have a problem with understanding. In fact, look over, would you please, at chapter number six. You'll see in verse number six. He says, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. This man that pastor talked to today in the car gave the impression that he was trying to find a way he could work his way to heaven. That somehow if he had enough of these good things, that somehow he would find his way there. You know, a lot of people think like that. God burdened my heart when I talked with a man who's a friend of mine and I knew he was lost and I've been praying for his soul. And as we were in Buffalo, New York this past year, I, I, I called him up and he said, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. He had pancreas cancer and he's been to the hospital. And he said, I just I can't get better. I don't know what's going to happen. I just don't understand. He said, I just don't seem to have any drive and any hope. I got off the phone and I said to my wife, I said, honey, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how it's going to work. But I believe God wants me to go and see him. I got on a plane, which the Lord worked out the details, and I flew from Buffalo all the way down to Florida. God provided that my mom was in the airport near where I was going to be. She had a car that was available. I drove her car to where he was in the place, and he was in desperate shape. Even the doctors had no idea what was going to happen to him. And I began to pray, Lord, would you please give me an opportunity with this man alone? I spent several hours with him that night. The next morning, his wife said, I've got to go take care of some medical things. She said, is there any possible way you could stay with him for a couple hours in the morning? I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> God does things in amazing ways. And that next morning, I was there at the house early. And as she left, I began to share with him. I've talked with him before. I've shared with him the entire plan of salvation. We've talked about it. He said, Randy, he said, I just don't think I'm good enough. I said, you're right. You'll never be good enough. You're never going to get to the point where you're good enough. He said, but I keep trying to do what I can do. I said, you'll never do enough. There's no way that you and I could ever work our way into God's heaven. He said, but I've been trying to weigh this thing out. And he said, it just doesn't make sense to me. I said, it never will until you, by faith, trust in Jesus as your Savior. We spent an hour together. We went through the scriptures. We talked together. I wasn't putting him under pressure, but I was just praying, God, would you please do the work that only you can do? And I said, what do you believe God wants you to do? He said, I've got to get saved. You know what a blessing it was to be able to see him bow his head 
and closed his eyes and the tears streamed down his face as he prayed a simple sinner's prayer. I didn't lead him through the prayer. He's old enough to be able to do that. And he did. And oh, what a change in his life. He calls me up and he says, you know what? I don't get interested in the television much anymore. (laughs) He says, I have such interest in other things. I I said, it's exciting to see what God can do when God changes a heart. And when he moves in on us and when we begin to have a desire for the knowledge of God, not what we can do to please God, but who God is. Just knowing who he is. Look over at chapter number eight. It says, set the trumpet to thy mouth. That always gets my attention. (laughs) He said, he shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord because they've transgressed my transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Israel shall cry unto me. My God, we know thee. Israel hath cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. And as you continue through this book, you'll notice over and over that there is a problem. But look at chapter number 13 and verse number nine. For here he says in simple, rapid fashion, he says, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. And as I read that, I said, oh, wow. Israel, with all of the opportunities that you've had, with all of the prophets, with all of the... God speaking to you and giving you instruction and all of your background and all of the patriarchs. And yet he says, oh, Israel, oh, Israel. And he cries out, oh, Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. I talked with a young lady who got involved in drinking this week. I was talking with her and. She got involved in drinking. She ended up a bar. She was 20 years old. She came out of the bar. She said there was no reason for me to live. I couldn't make sense of it all. She said I was drunk, but she said I had already made up my mind. She said as I was driving down the road drunk, she said I saw the telephone pole and she said I'm going to end it all. And she drove into it, wrecked her car, had a brain hemorrhage, had a stroke. Her life's not been the same. But through it all, she's come to know Christ. And in that situation, she went just this week, Friday, she went to the Emanuel Hospital and she gave her testimony to others who are there for rehabilitation, telling them the answer is not in the bottle. The answer is not in your own depression. The answer is not in your own fix. It's not even in the medicine. It's not in any of that. The answer is in Jesus. Hey, listen, he's the one. And yet at the same time, he says, oh, Israel, there are people in self-destruct mode. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're making choices, choices. You say, no, they're not. They were born that way. Don't you believe that lie? We were all born with sin. There's no doubt about it. But we make choices along life's road. And as we do, we find more and more that often our choices lead toward more iniquity. That's what happened here. They lead toward more idol worship. They lead toward looking for some other way to find some kind of satisfaction, some kind of hope. If you study World War II, you would find it fascinating, as I did, to study the kamikaze acts that were going on when people would be willing to self-destruct for the sake of their nation. To fly in an airplane. To try to dive bomb onto a ship. To explode and to give up their lives. We see people today strapping bombs to themselves, self-destructing. 
The suicide rates have skyrocketed. Why, you say? Oh, I'll tell you why. Because they don't understand where real help is. Israel was in this self-destruct mode. And as, as they're running through that, we see through the scripture that God was in the business of helping to teach them. As we look throughout our country and we see various maps that would depict the suicide rate that is going on as it continues to grow. We see people in all kinds of different situations that are struggling. And yet, as we saw back in chapter number four, look what it, would you with me as you notice that he says there's just a lack of virtue in the land. How would you say that, preacher? I'm going to say a lack of virtue, a lack of moral excellence, a lack of morality. People don't even seem to know what the word is anymore. A lack of basic understanding. Back to the knowledge of God. And we've thrown out the book and we've thrown out the principles that go with it. And so now we have problems in this country and we lack what we so much need is virtue in this land. The moral excellence of the truth of God's word. And yet that is not enough to save. And yet it is. But so many countries and so many families and so many people, there are good people who live morally and do very well. Businesses that function morally and do very well. But now we're in a state of seeming immoralness. A state where we have turned our backs on God, and a part of it is because we don't understand who God is. We're right back to, as we were this morning, a knowledge of God, where you're going to find it right here in this book. Just right here in the book. You say, well, that's a good thought. I like that preacher. That's a good thing. Well, no, you've got to get in it. You've you, you got to open it and read it. It's not enough for you just to come to church and listen to what the preacher says. You've got to study it. You've got to pick it up. You've got to make it a daily part of your life. And you say, do I have to? Well, you don't have to, but you'll miss out on the greatest blessing. They all, this book is loaded from one cover to the other. Every time you open it up, it just fascinates me again and again and again in the most unusual places. Yet our struggle is, in our land, we have so much information, don't we? And yet it seems like we have less and less information and knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. You say, why is that? Because we don't fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. When we begin to fear God, then we understand what he wants and what his desires are. And then we begin to come to a point where we say, Lord, here I am. I need your help. I need your guidance. I, I, I need your, your direction because we are a needy people and I am a needy people. We move from the outside where everybody's involved to the personal to the relationship one-on-one with God. Yeah, I was fascinated. Speaking of knowledge, a couple of weeks ago in South Carolina, as we were in that state, they were, uh, they were voting on the importance of legislating the teaching of the Constitution in high school civics classes. Now, you can study this out. Just a couple of weeks ago, check it out. Legislators in South Carolina may pass the law that we'd have to have the teaching of the Constitution in an American public school, high school civics class. You say, we're in a mess in this land. We are in a mess. You, you would think that that would be something that would be part of the core curriculum, would you not? 
But we filled it with all kinds of other things because we've made choices. And we need to make choices, but we need to make choices that are congruent with what God has said. And so we come back to, what do we do about birth? Well, it doesn't seem very difficult to me. That child is a child from the very moment of conception and everything bears that out. Oh, what a... What, what a, a jaded mentality it is in our culture when we begin to think that at some point, well, we can make those choices as well. God made those choices. Choices about parts. Hey, things are gotten so weird in our country. You wonder what in the world is happening. I mean, we got we got people and they're marrying in all kinds of different ways. And now we've got the Supreme Court that's ruled on same sex marriage. It's not just that. Last week, CBS carried it. You can check it out. CBS, Google it if you want to. A man from L.A. married his cell phone in Las Vegas. Yeah, cell phone. We got a girl up in Michigan, 18 years old, who wants to marry her father. A lady in Britain who wants to marry her dog. We got people that are bipolar, and now they want to marry themselves. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you. The incredible... Can we say stupidity? Is, 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 it, is it really, really, really wise for us to, to, to recognize what's going on? What really is happening is that people do not want the knowledge of God. They don't want to believe that what God said is what he meant. And that's the way it works. And how simple would it be if we just go back to the way God intended right from the beginning? And we begin to see it all that God created man and woman. That's the beginning point. They didn't just somehow just happen. They didn't just pop into being. They didn't just evolve. How incredible is that whole concept? And then that God ordained that men and women would be married and would complete each other in the beautiful, holy matrimony between a man and a woman. And God said that this is that marriage is honorable in all Hebrews 13 in verse four. What a beautiful thing. Our world doesn't want to believe what God says. And so consequently, they'll throw that out and just make a mockery of anything that God says is sacred and right. This is where we are. It's a lack of virtue. But would you notice this? He says by swearing, verse two, and lying and killing And stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. You see, here's the problem. It's not only a lack of virtue, but a love of vice. When you walk into Walmart, do you notice that the new movie is right there at the door being pushed so you might pick it up? How many of those? I mean, it's absolutely. I went back to get a little uh, cell phone plug you stick into your cigarette lighter. And just so I could get my USB plug plugged in so I could charge my cell phone while I was traveling. And in order to do so, you got to go to the entertainment center and you got to walk by all the videos. And just as I'm walking by, I'm thinking, is there really anything there that is worth seeing? Most of it you could tell right away was violent crimes that are being committed. We've filled our nation, our homes, we've filled our people with the vice of this world, and we listen to it and watch it and suck it in day after day, and then we wonder why we have problems. We wonder why our children do these things. We wonder why our teenagers are like they are. And there's no question about it. We begin to love this stuff. It's part of the old fleshly desire. 
isn't it? And he says by all of this, by murdering and stealing and killing and committing adultery and all of this, and you say, what's going on in our world? And after what happened in Dallas this week and in Phoenix and in Atlanta, and we see these kind of things breaking out and we wonder, what in the world is this going to continue to spread? You say, preacher, you seem like you're a little excited about it. I am because it's only going to get worse. You say, wait a minute. How do you know that? I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. I don't work for a nonprofit. I don't anything. <laughs> hey, listen, I, I'm just telling you, I, I'm, I'm just telling you that based on this continuing trend, people and all of us tend to go downward unless God does the incredible in our lives and only he can. And this is what happens. And this love of vice continues to draw us further and further away from God. And he says they break out and blood touches blood. Oh, we heard a lot about that in the 1980s. Blood touching blood. And when blood touches blood, a lot of times that's not a good thing. So we came up with something called AIDS. You say, we came up? No. But have you noticed how much you've heard about AIDS lately? Not much being said nowadays. See, it doesn't seem to fit into the agenda of our culture. And the reason is pretty simple. I was looking just this afternoon and I found it incredible that as as uh, I was uh, studying this, I went to um, the Center for Disease Control. Some of you are probably familiar with it. The CDC.gov. You can check it out if you wish to. And, and there where you would find some very sad statistics in 2013, the United States gay and bisexual men accounted for 81 percent of the 37 thousand estimated HIV diagnoses among males aged 13 years and older. 81%. There's a whole list of stats on here that goes down through the whole thing. And actually, when you look on there, these are the government stats. But not too many people are talking about it. No, it doesn't seem to fit in our agenda. But I will tell you this, that it's indicative of people who have turned from God. They're in the self-destruct mode and they have they lack the virtue of God's holy word and they love the vice that comes with the wickedness of depravity in man. And these con- problems continue to escalate. But he says in verse number three, therefore, shall the what the land mourn and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. With the beast of the field and with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another for thy people are as they that strive with the priest. And he goes on to speak of this lack of knowledge and forgetting the law of God. This is indicative of a nation that is on the self-destruct path. And that is a land that vomits. You say, Preacher, wait a minute. That's getting a little bit far, isn't it? I want you to go back, would you please? We're in the Old Testament. Let's go back to Leviticus chapter number 18, would you please? Leviticus chapter number 18. Some of you will say, of course, this was Israel early on. God was giving them this great treatise to explain the importance of sanctification 
to explain to them the need for holiness. In fact, in chapter number 20, the whole theme as it leads to that is in verse number 7. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy. Why? For I am the Lord your God. He says, that's why you need to be holy. Because I'm the Lord your God. And that's the way it is. It's not about your statutes. He says in verse number 8 of chapter 20, and ye shall keep my statutes. He says, and do them, I am the Lord, which sanctify you. And he goes on to mention all of these difficulties that go one thing after another. Look at chapter number 18. Chapter number 18. He says here in verse number 2, after the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. In other words, where you came from, don't do like they do. He says, and after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, Shall ye not do where you went, where you came from? Don't do like they did where you're going. Don't do like they do. In other words, you're not supposed to do like anything you're looking at. He says instead, he says. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments. Keep mine ordinances to walk therein. Why? I am the Lord your God, God speaking to his people. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes, my judgments, which if a man do, watch this, this is great. Ye shall what? You're going to live in them. You can live this way. You can live with joy this way. You're going to be able to function this way because this is the way I ordained it. But when you do after what they did and what they're doing, then you're going to have problems. He says, you can live my way. Oh, hey, because he lives... I can face tomorrow. See, because of Christ, because of what God's son did on the cross, we can move on. That's how we live. We live in him. And if you go over to Galatians chapter two, we're reminded again, aren't we, of how important it is to live in Christ. I, I, I'm fascinated as I look here and he says, ye shall keep my, uh, ye shall keep my statutes and judgments as he speaks to Israel. And then he says, now there's some things you're not supposed to do. You look down through here in verse number, uh, six, he says, if there's any near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness, uh, uh-uh, uh, don't do that. Yeah. And the nakedness of thy father or thy mother, the nakedness of thy father's wife, verse eight, the nakedness of thy sister, thy, thy son's daughter, your daughter-in-law, your stepsister in verse number 11, your aunt and your uncle in 12 and 14, your daughter-in-law over in verse number 15, your sister-in-law in verse number 16, your brother's wife. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. He says, you're not going to do that. You can't live that way. You say, that's Old Testament and that's not what we're living. And I understand, but I'm trying to tell you something. God had a plan from the beginning. He wanted these people to live. And I'm going to tell you something. If we want to know how to live in this day, we better find out what our holy God is asking for. And this is what he's talking about here to these people. And he says to them, also, thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she's apart for her uncleanness. He goes on as he gets to verse number 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. You say that's Old Testament. Good. Go over to Romans chapter one. If you need to go to first Timothy chapter one, go to second Timothy chapter number three. You're going to find it in the New Testament, too. God hasn't changed his mind on most of these issues, but man has changed his direction and when we go the wrong way away from god you can expect there's going to be consequences and here's what he says look at what he says in verse number 25 and the what land 
is defiled. He says it's not the people that are defiled, though they are. He says it's not the environment that's defiled, though they are. It's the land that's defiled. And notice what he says here. He says, therefore, I do visit the iniquity there upon it and the land itself. What? Vomiteth out her inhabitants. Oh, ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgment shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your, uh, neither any of your own nation nor any stranger that sojourneth among you for all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you and the land is defiled. Verse 28, that the land spew not you out also when you defile it as it spewed out the nations that were before it. You say, preacher, why are you so excited? Because I'm going to tell you something. If our country continues to go the way this country did, we're already beginning to see the land is beginning to heave. A week ago, I had a serious gallbladder attack in the midst of that. I had no idea exactly what was going to happen, but I had just finished a ministry that we were doing in Pennsylvania. There were a lot of people there at the church, and I thought, I'm going to go lay down after the service. I I went right back. My wife said, honey, you don't look good. I said, I don't feel good. I went backstage, and I laid down under some chairs. A lady came back, and she said, are you all right? And I said, I think I'm going to be all right. I just don't feel well. She said, well, I'd just feel bad if I didn't ask. (laughs) I said, I got to get out of here. You know, when you don't feel good, you just don't want to be near anybody. And and so I walked out the side door and I went through the parking lot. I thought if I can just get to our motor home, I can maybe get there. I can just do whatever I need to do. And all of a sudden I sensed, oh, that's not going to work at all. And there were all these people out in the parking lot and the buses were there and there were kids lined up and adults there and everybody was there. And uh, (laughs) I turned around and I went around the side of the the building and all of a sudden I knew that I wasn't even going to make it to the motor home. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm going to tell you what, it's a sad thing when you get sick. You know what I'm saying? When you realize something's not right down there, something's got to happen and something's going to come somewhere. My wife's beginning to wonder, where'd he go? Where'd he go? I didn't see him go anywhere. I said, honey, you never find me back there, back by the cornfield. I'm back in the cornfield. I'm losing it all back there. And I'm thinking, oh, God, you know what? Would you please help me? Hey, you know what? When you get sick, that's what we usually do. We call for help, don't we? That's where we are in this country. We're sick. We need help. He said about Israel, he said, oh, you need some help. I want to help you. (laughs) I like what he says. Would you notice down there in, uh, uh, oh, all the way through. But, oh, my. (laughs) Look back at Hosea chapter number 13. Notice what he says at the end of this. Oh, Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. But I like that, don't you? There's a conjunction you can hang on. When I was a kid, we used to used to go to my brother-in-law's house. I used to have this program on conjunction, junction. What's your function? Hook it up words and phrases and clauses. Yeah, (laughs) you're right about that. Hey, here's a conjunction. He says, but but there's a change coming. He says, you're in the self-destruct mode, but in me is thine help. There's no other place to find help but in God. There's no other way to find help but in God. 
Would you notice over in chapter number 14, he says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. That's what happens. Iniquity causes us to fall down. It caused this nation to fall down. He says, what are you going to do? Return. Come back. And our God in all of his mercy, all of his grace, he calls the nation. He calls them back. Look at chapter number 14 and verse number 9, the last verse of the book. He says, who is wise and he shall understand these things prudent and he shall know them for the ways of the Lord are right and the just shall walk in them. But the transgressors shall fall therein. There it is again. The falling, the wickedness, the falling and the failing. And he says, but in me is thine help. There's help. Oh, people, when they need help, they stick a help wanted sign in the window. I think it's time for us to do so. Is it not? Is it time for us to call out, to cry out, Lord, help? Throughout the scripture, we find it in the Old Testament. The word help is often translated save. 153 times it's translated salvation. Oh, there's where the help is. Our help is in God. It's in God alone. And as we recognize this, we notice that the Lord is our help. Several years ago when I lived here in Oregon, I was reminded this week of, of this event. I was pastoring up in Lafayette, as Pastor mentioned this morning. As I was studying, I was praying. We had just had our son, Mariah, who's now married to their daughter, Melissa. Because of a change in our insurance policy, we found out that we were trusting in the insurance instead of God to take care of some of the needs that we had. And when they said you didn't meet a certain waiting period, there would be no money for Mariah's birth. I said, oh, Lord, we need help. And we need help somewhere fast. I was reading my Bible in Psalm 121. It says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. I looked out my office window and I could see the Cascade Range one way. I could see the Coast Range the other way. And I said, there's no help in those hills. Now listen to what the verse says. My help cometh from the Lord, which made the hills, the heaven and earth. We got a lot of people that are running around and praising the, the, the hills and the trees and they're hugging on them and everything else. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But there's some people that believe that the earth is the Lord. You know what I'm saying? That's not what the Bible says. The earth is the Lord's. And so <laughs> I was praying and I said, Lord, where am I going to find some help? And a man pulled up in the driveway of the church. And I'll never forget as he came up, he said, do you need some help? And I said, I sure do. He said, I heard that you had a baby. I said, no, I didn't. My wife did. <laughs> Maybe that's why he came. He knew I needed help. I said, yes, we we have been trusting, I guess, in insurance instead of in the Lord. And I said, we're not exactly sure what we're going to do, but we're praying that God somehow is going to work through this and that we're going to be able to cover this doctor bill. This was not a man that went to our church. He was just a man in the community. I recognized his car when he came up and he said, well, my wife and I can't have any kids. But he said, we heard about your situation and we just wanted to be a part of the solution. And I said, really? 
I can't even remember telling anybody. He said, maybe this will help. And he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a wad of $100 bills. And he started going like this. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. He handed me 16 $100 bills. Do you know that the doctor bill came to 1580 some dollars? I, I just didn't know what to, I was flabbergasted. I said, Lord, you are help. I kept up with that man in various times that I've come back out to the West. I go back to that area. I went over to his house. I knocked on the door. I said, I just want to thank you for the part that you had in our lives at a very crucial time. And we watched how God used you to show himself strong on our behalf. And we just want to thank you. He said, you remember I told you that we can't have any kids. And I said, yeah, I do remember that. He said, but you know what? We just wanted to plant the seed so maybe God would bless us too. And he said, since then, we've had nine foster kids. I said, isn't it wonderful the way God works? And yet the Lord is the Lord is my help. You can see that. And if we had time to go back and just for a, just for a brief second, just look back in Psalm 121. And you'll notice there that it says my help cometh from the Lord. Verse two, which made the heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. You don't have to worry about it. God is our helper. And God is our holder. He's the one who keeps us. He's the one who holds on to us. It says, verse 5, the Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. And it says that he's the hedge that preserves and keeps our soul from the evil. Verse number 7, he's going to preserve us. He's going to keep us. He's going to hang on to us. And he says that he's our shade over us. He's our hoverer. He's watching over everywhere you go. God is our help. And all we have to do is say, thank you, God. You're the one we need. Israel, God is who you need. My friends, it's God who you need. He's your help. And as we consider the old song, it says, Oh God, our help in ages past, our what? Our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. I had no idea that my daughter-in-law would marry, a different daughter-in-law would marry a son. And she said to me, Dad, she said, my favorite song is, Oh God, Our Help. I said, would you mind if I write an orchestral arrangement for your wedding? And she said, sure, that's fine. She said, I never expected anything. But oh, what joy there was just to be able to review those words and go over and over as all the parts were coming in. Oh God, our help. He's our help. He's our hope. Oh, it's better than that. Because he is the very manifestation of our home. That's where we spend eternity. That's why we go that direction. And that's why we need his help. As people are still shooting off fireworks to this day. <laughs> Leftovers. They probably got cheap on sale. Half off. <laughs> I couldn't help but be reminded of my son, Mariah, several years ago. We were having a little sparkler. And I said, wow, I'm looking at some pictures. And I said, there he is when he's just a young boy. And I said, oh, God, for the next generation, don't let us get in the self-destruct mode. Let us, even though the land is bad, even though there's vice in the land and the lack of virtue, let us be people who look to God for our help. 
And let us be ones who make a difference in the path of those who come behind. For there are those who are looking for hope and help. And in this world, there's only one place to point them. It's to our great God. Yes, when Israel turned to him, there was hope and help. For our nation, I believe there's hope and help. But we must be a people that turns and looks to God. For he alone is our hope and help. In ages past and hope for years to come. Can America survive? Oh, if we turn to God, we will. Can your family survive? If you turn to God, you will. You survive, you can turn to God, you will, by God's grace and by his will. And we, as a people of God, must determine that we will, every one of us, do our part to make a difference in helping this generation and the next generation and the next. There's something, isn't there? I love that song, Ernie. How sweet to hold a newborn baby. There's something about that. In fact, I think it's even sweeter, the grandbaby. Maybe Bill should have written it that way. How sweet to hold a newborn grandbaby. <laughs> I had no idea the day my daughter had our first grandson. And she, we were in the house. She was in the house upstairs. And I thought, man, I, this is going to be great. It wasn't great at all. She's upstairs. And I could tell there were times when she was in desperate pain. And I'm her daddy. And I'm going, i got to help her. i got to do something to help her. And I thought, no, I can't. Her husband's there. He'll be all right. She'll make it through. It's happened all down through the ages. You want to help, don't you? I'm telling you. As much as we can help, we'll do what we can. But look to the God who alone is the helper. And he alone will see us through. Father, in Jesus' name, do not let us go the way of so many other nations. God, during this month when we celebrate all these special events in our country's history, let us be reminded again of how great you are. Lord, as we look to you, as we see these reminders through Scripture, we're reminded again of how vital it is that we be people who are consumed and concerned with who you are. Lord, we pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for the nation of Israel today. We have people who are trying to push, even within our own administration, a two-state idea. Lord, that wasn't your plan from the beginning. Oh, God, I pray that you would help little Israel with the big God. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how vital it is that we as a people get behind that little country. Oh, God, as some of our leaders seem to be pulling away from that alliance, I pray that that they would read again what your promise was to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Oh, God, them that bless them, you will bless. And those that curse them, you will curse. God, we don't want to be on the wrong side of that equation. Oh, God, I pray for Israel. And I pray that you will help us as well. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us individually tonight. To recognize when the characteristics of self-destruction enter our lives. Lord, let us take an inventory of our own viewing. Of our own heart's appetites. 
Let us take an inventory of what you are trying to do in our lives and ask you as we draw closer to you to reveal to us our sin and our wickedness. Oh God, let us turn from our wickedness and let us instead find our hope and help in you. My friend, if you're here tonight and you do not have hope, you do not know a certainty of your eternal home in heaven tonight, please, Please understand that Christ has provided everything for you through his death on the cross of Calvary. And that he alone can save you. There's not a thing that I can do, not a thing the preacher can do. None of us can save you, but only Christ can save you. You'll find help. You'll find salvation in him. You'll find it alone in him. He is the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, he said, but by me there is no other way. He's the only place to find help. Tonight, if you need him, please don't leave this place without him. We'd love to show you from an open Bible how you can know you're on your way to his heaven. And if you're here tonight and you're a believer in Christ, listen, what is your attitude? What is your aptitude? What is your direction? Where are you headed for God? Is it clear and obvious? As you take inventory in your own life, your relationship with the one who has provided the help for you. And what about those that are nearby? Do they need your help? Are those nearby that need you to speak a word in truth and love? Oh, God, help us, please, to be people who do more than listen, but act and live in a way that brings glory to you. And Lord, we'll praise you in the name of Jesus and thank you. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we sing together? Number 48.